This morning I have the privilege of sharing with you the Word of God. And that's important because I surely hope that you didn't come for anything but the Word of God. I hope you didn't come here for my opinion. I hope you didn't come here for a denominational perspective. I hope you didn't come here for any of that. We're here to give you what the Word of God says. And at the end of the day, it's not our job to tell you, to mandate you how you live. It's up to you to respond to the Word of God. Amen? And so today, I pray that you receive the Word with open ears, open hearts, and that faith is born in your heart, and that you receive what God has to say for you today. So today we're starting a new series entitled Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories. How many of you know that uh, stories have power? Stories have power. In olden times, stories were the method by which invaluable information was passed on. History was recorded and valuable life lessons were instilled uh, in the lives of children and for the generations to come even until this day. Back in the days of Israel, they would sing songs. You know Psalms? Psalms are literally songs that they would sing of things that God did. They remembered things. They passed on. They, uh, uh, when the Bible talks about in the New Testament about, uh, about uh, singing uh, uh, songs and praises and all that, it's talking about a tradition, a, a mindset that was theirs where they passed on the oracles of God and the word of God and they instilled it through song and through stories. And so in the same way, stories have a way of, be, of passing something on for us. And stories have a way of capturing our attention and cementing information in our minds and our hearts. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into the Word, and we're going to be looking at some good old Bible stories. The thing is this, they're not simply stories. There's something more to them. They apply to you and I. Just along the, uh, along the lines of uh, the power of stories, it reminds me of a time where um, we lived in the Bronx. We lived in Patterson Avenue down by... Classens Point in that area, and we, uh, we had a three-bedroom apartment in a private house, um, and I remember my son needed a bed, and so my wife says, "Hun, we got to buy him a bed, and I'm going to be frank with you, I was cheap at that time. I was super cheap. I went and bought one of those, those beds that it came in pieces, not Ikea. That, those, those, those suckers stick. I went to some cheap place on 3rd Avenue on 149th Street somewhere in the Bronx and picked up a bed, and I said, it looks good on the box. Right? So I take it home, and I said, look, I got him a bed. And my wife was like, what's that? I said, trust me, I got this. So I quickly get to opening the box. My son is there with me, so he's helping me pull all these things. He goes, dad, dad, you need these papers. And I said, no, no, we don't need those. Just put them to the side. And back in those days when I would put things together, I always had extra screws. Extra screws, extra pieces of wood. You know, they gave you this, blue, this uh, glue bottle, but I, I didn't know what that was for. So I just, you know, I winged it. And so we put together the bed, and it's just not holding. And I'm frustrated, and my wife is not having it, you know, and she's, she's not happy because I'm impatient, and I'm not trying to hear her, right? And so in the midst of my frustration, my son makes this statement to me. He was about eight years old at that time, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, slow and steady wins the race. And I remember when he said that, I looked at him, and I said, where did he get that wisdom from? Well, you know, duh, me, I wasn't paying attention in elementary school. That's the tortoise and the hare. It's the story of the tortoise and the hare. And so what I'm saying simply with that is that stories have a way of teaching us things and instilling things in us. And what better stories for us to subscribe to? What better stories for us to pay attention to than what the Bible has to say? Amen? Amen. And so there are many 
stories that we've heard throughout our lives. And the only difference between those stories and these stories that we'll be looking at is that these are true. These recount biblical history, actual facts that occurred that till this day carry meaning, carry purpose, carry destiny, carry revelation. They clarify things for us if we would just but listen to them. And so I want to encourage you for the next couple of weeks as we dig in that you not simply look at this as a good bedtime story, so to speak. But you begin to see the value of what God's word has to say to you and I. And so real quick, before we jump into this, I want to turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And I just want to show you some things real quick because these stories have a purpose. These stories have a purpose. If you're following us, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, raise your hand. Uh, one of our ushers will get you one. We have plenty of them. Or you can just follow us on the screen. That's fine as well. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, starting at verse 1, and we'll go to verse 3, it says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So quick question, because I know I'm in a room of very intelligent people. What's the topic here? What's it about? Faith. One person. Okay, a few of you got it. Faith. So faith is the subject here, right? It says, so faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. But what's the impact of faith? For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so while this chapter is known by many and referred to as the faith chapter, right, or the hall of faith, as some people uh, allude to. It's really uh, something deeper. It reveals the power of faith through the lives of people that lived and experienced a personal relationship with God and trusted Him when they could not go by anything they saw. If I could just encourage you with this, ladies and gentlemen, your faith has nothing to do with what you feel, with what you see. If it did, then guess what? You wouldn't be relying upon God. Can you see God? Can you physically touch him? You might feel certain things and all that, but what I'm saying to you is that the Bible says that God relates to us according to his spirit. And the new spirit, the new man that he's placed in us. And so it's important for us to see that this faith that it's talking about, that we're about to endeavor upon in the next couple of weeks, that we're going to see through the word, it's talking about something deeper. And the stories of old that the elders, it's referring to the people of old, the forefathers is what that word means in the Greek. They obtained a good testimony. In other words, they saw, they heard, and they experienced great things. But it was by faith. And so those stories teach us something. Notice that in verse 2, it says that they obtained a good testimony. Can I ask you all a question? If you're going to seek a relationship with God, would you want a bad experience or a good one? I don't know about you, but I had some bad experiences coming up in church as a kid. You know, where it was based upon what you wore. It was based upon what you looked like. I remember my mother, she used to look so beautiful with, uh, with her makeup. Not to say that she didn't look on without it, but it was better when she had makeup on. Right? But she would go to church and we started going to this church. And next thing you know, my mother's not wearing earrings. She's looking like uh, one of the characters from Little House on the Prairie, right? And it's just, I'm just like, Mom, what is this, right? And it was just so rigid, so strict, so, so uh, condemning and, and, and re religious. And it was just, 
Ugh, nobody, I didn't want anything to do with that. But that's not what this is talking about. We're talking about an experience with God that's a good one. Because we serve God that is good. And he's always good. He doesn't change his mind based upon how we behave. He doesn't change his mind based upon our background. He doesn't change his mind based upon what you did this morning or when you stub your toe on the way to the bathroom. He doesn't change his mind. He's forever the same. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and help me out, forever, forever. He's the same. And so what we see is that these stories don't just convey their experiences. Listen closely. They confirm and convey ours. They're meant for us. They're meant to impact us. They're meant to teach us some valuable things. Turn with me if you will, right? Just look right down in your Bible to uh, verse 30 in Hebrews 11. Watch what it says. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. How did that happen? By faith. Right? By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, watch this, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." Uh, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. Let me just pause right there for a moment because you could very easily look at that at certain level and go, I don't want that kind of faith. Sawn in two. Uh, uh, tortured. Killed. Who wants that kind of faith? I didn't, I'm not signing up for that. Hun, I told you we shouldn't have came to this church. Let's roll out of here. That's not what we're talking about here. Notice that the Bible says that in the midst of all that, they obtained a good experience in their faith. There was something that was greater than the circumstances that they endured. Paul puts it this way in the New Testament. He says, we've been shipwrecked, we're pressed on every side, we're hard pressed on every side. And then he says, and yet in these light afflictions. In other words, the greater one within, the one that walks with us is greater than anything that can push on us from the outside. We just learned about that a couple of weeks ago. And so they had a good testimony through faith. And they did not receive the promise. But watch this, verse 40. God having provided, listen closely, something better for us. That they should not be made perfect apart from us. I just want to pause for a moment and consider what scripture is saying here. That these stories reveal the power that is ours to overcome and take hold of the promises that are ours in Christ. 
Now, maybe you haven't stopped to consider this. Maybe you're just getting started in this walk of faith. Maybe you've been doing this for years and it's just become monotony. Whatever stage, whatever age, whatever place you find yourself in, I want you to know something, that the Bible says that it is by God's promises that we obtain all that God has for us. In other words, he gives us things to look forward to that encourage us, but also give us a direction, a place to go. And what I'm saying to you today is this, that your walk of faith is not done yet. As a matter of fact, for some, we're just getting started. But here's the beauty of it. It's one step at a time. It's one step at a time. And that's what we're going to begin to see in some of these stories, that these were people that weren't these super giants the way we think they were. They were ordinary, everyday people like you and I. And yet, they possess something that you and I have. Faith in God. The thing is, their faith caused them to take steps. And today as you listen, I want you to consider the invitation of God that he's saying, hey, I didn't build you for where you're at. Believe it or not, God has more for you. God's plan is greater than what you can see. Doesn't scripture tell us that God does exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond what we could even ask or think? That's the God that we serve. And so let's look real quick at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 because it says something beautiful about these witnesses that came before us. It says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's, that is set before us. You know what's interesting about that word there, cloud, that, 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 uh, that terminology there, cloud of witnesses? It's referring to spectators. And here's what Scripture's saying. They walked through this and some of them, they went through some serious challenges. All of them did. But some of them, it seemed like they didn't quite get what faith intended for them and yet what scripture reveals is it's because there was something better for them which is better for us they were looking forward to something that you and i have today and so what the scripture begins to reveal to us is this that we have a cloud of witnesses there are spectators that came before us and here's what they're doing they're saying run 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 take the step of faith Fight for your faith. Walk in faith. Trust God. You can make it. I know it looks bad. I know it looks tough. I know it looks hard. But it's not over. You're just getting started. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, 17. Jesus says this, For assuredly, in other words, you can bet your bottom dollar on this. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and they did not see it and to hear what you hear and they did not hear you know what jesus is saying there he talks to the disciples and he's referring to these people of old that we're we're going to be learning about and what he's saying is hey they were looking forward to the day when they could hear the words that you're hearing when they could receive the kingdom that is now that is right here before you they, they were looking forward to this day. And so what I want you to see is this, that while these stories are impressive 
and they are impactful, and they are meaningful, and they are full of faith, and they are full of examples that we can readily apply to our lives, I want you to see that according to Scripture, you and I have something better. We have something better. And so, if you'll join me, we're going to turn to uh, uh, James chapter 2.23. But before we do that, uh, you can turn there. Uh, we're going to learn uh, today a little bit about the life of a man named Abraham. There was a time when his name was Abram, right? And that meant exalted father. The thing is, Abram had no kids, right? But then there comes a time where Abram has an experience with God. And the Bible has a lot to say about Abram. Few men outside of Jesus Christ have had such an impact on the history of this world as Abraham did. I mean, to this very day, Abraham is remembered, even revered amongst some religions. In the Muslim religion, in, 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 the, uh, in the Jewish faith, uh, 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 Abraham is almost exalted as if he's a God himself. In the Christian, in Christianity today, we look to the example of Abraham. But Abraham's life is one that's marked by a great example of a life lived by faith. And I think that that's important for us to uh, pay attention to today because the Bible says that we walk by faith. In other words, we live a manner of life by faith, not by sight. And maybe you've been trying to uh, do religion. Maybe you've been trying to do some, just some spiritual hula hoops. We get up on Sunday, we go to church. And we check that off our list, and you know what? And we say our prayers in the morning, and you know what? Maybe we pray a little bit at night, right? And, and we give a little offering, and it's, it's almost like if we're performing our duty. But the thing is this, that there's nothing that we can do that adds to who God is and what God has for us. All we can do is embrace and receive it. And so it, uh, Abraham was a man that walked by faith. And the example that we're going to see with Abraham was that he completely trusted God. Now, let me just pause right there for a minute and challenge you to think about this. Is that your experience? Are you completely trusting God? Wow, I got real quiet here for a moment. All right, let's think about that. So let's see what the New Testament has to say about Abraham before we dive into this. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 23, and it says this. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Check this cool part out. And he was called the friend of God. I don't know that many people see a relationship with God that way. It's like big God pie in the sky and, you know, just help me out, God. Throw me a bone. Don't strike me. You know, I'm, I, I do more good than I do bad. I'll behave. I'll go to church more. I'll do this. That's not God at all. That's not the relationship that God intends for you and I. What we see is that Abraham had a personal relationship with God. It was something that was special. And for some of us, maybe we might feel like this. I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. But what you don't realize is that you do. That you do. And, I, and I'm going to show you that from Scripture. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 29 says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what's interesting about that word all in the Greek there? It has an interesting meaning. It means all. It means everyone. 
It means all his children. All. Go ahead and look around and see if you can identify a child of God. Go ahead and look around. Just identify one, right? Right? Don't be shy about this. Everyone, listen, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you are a child of God and that all includes you. And yet sometimes we can live life and we can walk this walk of faith as if somehow we're not included. As if somehow we don't belong. As if somehow we're not good enough. But we serve a God who does not condemn you and I. We serve a God that is not judging man today. How could you say that, Pastor Jose, with everything that's going on? You know what the Bible says? That the day of judgment is to come. God's not mad at anyone. You know why? Because what Christ did was sufficient. The price he paid, he paid to reconcile all humanity into himself. And so today, here's the, here's the choice we have. We can either accept it or reject it. And if we accept it, then guess what? We have that access to God. We have that favor with God. If we reject it by choice, then guess what? We don't. But the choice is ours. God has done his part. And so for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, you are a new being. You are a new creation. It says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Let me interpret that to modern terms. There's neither Catholic nor Methodist. There's neither Pentecostal nor Evangelical. There's neither Episcopal or whatever other uh, titles men come up with. Watch what it says. Uh, there's, either, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are, listen closely, all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, listen closely, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to, to the promise. So I'm going to tell you why that's so important. Because Abraham received some big promises from God. Big, big promises. And we're going to look at that today. We're just going to look at one instance of his life. Um, I, I, I don't have time to get into Abraham's entire life. We, we could do a couple of months of study on that. So today I'm going to focus in on one occurrence in Abraham's life. But what I want you to see is this, and I want you to understand is that when God says, Abraham, I will bless you and I will increase you and I will multiply you and I will bless the nations through you. It's not just talking about Abraham. Go ahead and tell somebody, it's talking about me. It's your story. It's my story. It's our story. And so we're not going to turn there, but Genesis 11, verses 27 through 30, tell us the origins of Abraham. And I want to give you some background on Abraham. Abraham came from a place called Ur of Chaldees, right? It was located in what, was, what is the southeast corner of Iraq today. It's about 75 miles from the Kuwaiti border. And it was a well-suited land for raising flocks and herds. Why is that important? Because that was a huge uh, source of commerce in those days. In addition to that, uh, this place of Ur of Chaldees was located at the place where the Euphrates River uh, emptied into the Persian Gulf and was a bustling seaport where trade was conducted with foreigners coming from India and Africa and other regions of the known world back in those days. So basically, here's what it was. It was like New York City. 
It was the spot to be. Earth Chaldees. Everything was happening there. And so it was very prosperous. But it was also a very perverted place. There were weird uh, uh, rituals and, and, and many gods that they served and all these perversive uh, uh, manners of living that they, that they uh, endeavored upon. And it was a dark time and a dark place for Abraham to come up in. But that's all that Abraham knew. And in the midst of his darkened condition, God shows up and introduces himself to Abraham. And what I want you to begin to see is this. That as we see the introduction of God to Abraham, God is introducing himself to us. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 12. And for the remaining couple of minutes that I have here, I want to just dig into this. So uh, pray you're perking your ears up. But if you miss anything or you're taking notes, go back and check out the podcast. All right. Uh, so Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 says this. Now the Lord had said to Abram. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what's beautiful about this introduction? That Abram could do nothing to deserve God wanting to be a part of his life. A holy God, a good God, a loving God. That God, God creator of all the universe, introduces himself to Abram. Abram, the idol worshiper. Adam, Abram, the pagan. Abram, the, 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 the one that lived without a knowledge of God. That Abram, that Abram that was far less than what he was supposed to be in God. That Abram, God introduces himself to. That's grace, ladies and gentlemen. That's favor there. That's love. Because you see, the Bible says this, that love, not only does it cover a multitude of sins, but love holds records of wrong. And so here comes God in his love, and he looks upon Abram, and instead of seeing the very worst, which is what religion does today, he sees him and he says, Abram, I got the very best for you. Abram, my plan is to bless you. Abram, my plan is to increase you, to multiply you, to use you so that not only are you blessed, but so that you can be a blessing into the lives of others, so that all would know that there is a God that cares for this entire world. And so Abram has this encounter with God. He has this introduction from God. But we got to imagine, we got to think about this, that Abram is being told, leave everything you have. And there's a reason why. Because you can't experience God's best while holding on to your past. Listen, he gave Christ, and he didn't just deal with the past, he dealt with the present and he dealt with the future. Scripture says that what Jesus has done is once and for all. It's a done deal. What he did is sufficient. And so God has provided, he's removed the stain of sin. He's removed all that separated us from God. And in the midst of that, his invitation is, I want you to see the good things that I have for you. That I intend for you. And Abram 
looks at everything he, where, where he's come from, his father's household, the land that he's known, and the Bible says he leaves it. And he leaves it to go to a place that he doesn't quite know where it is. That's faith, ladies and gentlemen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 tell us something about Abram's experience and ours today. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so what we find is that God is not a God that waits to be sought. God isn't waiting on you to go looking for him. God went and found you. God, God is, and, and maybe you're here and this is your first time or whatever. Or maybe, you know, you, you, you've, you've been kind of questioning this relationship with God. What I want you to see is this, that God is seeking you. His word reveals that he is a God that despite our hangups, despite our hiccups, despite our mess-ups, and all the other ups that we've got, that he seeks mankind. He's merciful, he's good, he's kind, he's loving. He's not holding the requirements of the law against you and I. If anything, he's removed them. And so Abram could have easily responded as, as some people do today, he could have said, I'm not qualified. I've got to get my act together, God. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to stop drinking first. I've got to stop hanging with these people first. I've got to, you know, stop uh, uh, thinking about some of the things that, I, that, 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 that I've been through. I've got to uh, cut some people off first. And God's saying, no, no, no. You come and you see. The Bible says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. The problem is this. If we don't take that step, we'll never discover God's very best for our lives. And so if you're here today and you feel like you can identify with Abram's past, a past marked by darkness, seeking after the wrong things, maybe without God, maybe struggling to, to understand God, just realize that the future that God laid out for Abraham was speaking of your present today. It's speaking of your now. It's speaking of a God that wants a personal relationship with you and I. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to look at a particular experience that Abram had well after the fact that he had uh, started this walk with God, seeking after God and where God was taking him. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter two, uh, 22, verses 1 through 18. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 18. And just so you understand, at this, at this point, Abram's in a good place. You see, if we study this out, which we don't have time for today, what we'll find is that Abram, uh, God approaches Abram and he says, Abram, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And so one day, Abram has an aha moment. He says, hey God, so you know that plan that you've got for me? That, you, you know, you're going to uh, bless all the nations through, through my lineage, you know, through an heir of my own. He says, well, that slave back there, legally, that's my heir. I got no kids. What's up? Right? And God says to him, oh, I didn't forget. He says to him, he's coming. 
by this time next year, you'll have a son. And Abram says, God, uh, how's this going to work? And uh, so God gives Abram a child. And they bear this child. And so now, fast forward to Genesis 22. They now have a son named Isaac. And it is through Isaac, the Bible says, God promised Abraham that all the nations blessed. That his people would come through. And so Abram has his son. And one day God shows up and says something that seems odd at face value, but we'll explore a little bit further today. Genesis 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 18, says this. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. I want you to remember that word there, tested. Because we're going to learn a little bit about that in a little bit. It says, now it came to pass that after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abram Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and, the, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go uh, Go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the, of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
And so in this account, we find that God calls Abraham to do something that completely defies and contradicts the promise. He says to him, Abraham, sacrifice your son. Sacrifice your son. That's, that's tough. For those of you that have children, you're, going, you're looking like this and you're going, amen, and you're going, no me, not me. Not my son, not my kids, right? And there's good reason for that. You love them, right? And so God tells Abraham, Abraham, sacrifice your son. And what scripture doesn't tell us is the background story. So I want you to think from a parent's perspective. You have a son of promise, your one and only son, the one which his name and the plan that God has set in motion for his life would flow through. It's through this child that everything that God promised you will happen. And God tells you, sacrifice this child. There was no other son to be bought. It was one miracle. It was a one-shot deal. This is it, Abraham. And God says to him, give me that son. Abraham had already given up much. He'd left his family. He'd left all that was familiar to him in Ur of Chaldees. He'd left uh, uh, um, his, uh, a lot of the things that he'd acquired over the years. He'd left all these things following after God. And while the Bible doesn't provide us the details as to what was going on through his mind and his emotions, it does provide us a crucial point where Abraham comes to a decision. Verses 4 and 5 tell us this, that after three days... They finally get to where they see Mount Moriah off in the distance. And it's at that point that Abraham looks at his son. He looks at the wood. He looks at the young men, that he, servants that he had with him. And he says, guys, leave us. Stay here with the donkeys. We're going to keep going on ahead. But what's interesting is this, that Abraham makes a crucial statement in verses 4 and 5. In, verses five, in verse 5, he says this, And I will go yonder and worship, listen closely, and we will come back to you. And so something happened for Abraham that in the midst of what God is telling him to do, mind you, he's still going up that mountain. Still got the wood. And there's still no lamb. His son was not dumb, as we're going to see. His son goes, hey, dad. So got the wood, got the pot of fire, where's the lamb? And so, which leads me today to our big idea. Faith in God only works when it's dependent upon a complete trust in God and his word. Faith only works when it's completely and solely in God. Completely and solely in God. If we just look at the example of Abraham... He's got his son of promise, and yet God tells him, sacrifice him, and Abraham says, I'm going. Let's look at verse 3 of Hebrews 11 once again real quick. It says, by faith, listen closely, we understand. And that's important, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. This is the one and only son you promised me. How can you now call me to sacrifice him? But Abraham had understanding 
because he, he had faith in God. What does it tell us? That we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made by, the, by things which are visible. In other words, Abraham was not depending upon what he saw or what he felt. He was convinced that if God said it, it's done. It's good. And so in verse 5, we see Abraham making this statement. We'll come back. We'll come back. If you believe that you're trusting God, but you are not depending upon his word, then ladies and gentlemen, we aren't having faith at all. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by his word. And so how is it that we can have an existence uh, in a relationship with God that completely sets aside his word and simply says, I believe there is a God. There is no faith that's operating in the midst of that. All that is is just an ascent. I believe there's a God out there. I believe that God is good. I believe in Jesus. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If this word is not operating in your life, if you're not seeing clearly through this word, then you can't operate in faith. And Abraham only had a word. Go to the mountain. Abraham had a few experiences with God's word. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, through your son. As Look at the stars, Abraham. As many as you can see, that's how many are going to come from your lineage through your son. And so Abraham had a confidence in God that excluded anything that had to do with feeling or reason. That's the realm of faith. That's where faith begins. I mean, you've heard our story. We left very good jobs, and we stepped out to nothing. <laughs> I had family that were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trusting God. And they're like, you're stupid. You're crazy. You know, what, you know what makes it even harder? When believers say to you, what are you doing? Duh, I'm believing. <laughs> right? There's one thing about believers that we should be doing. We should believe. Right? But we knew that God had called us to take a step out. And in the beginning it was two. Now it's about 160. Next week we're going to two services. And who knows where we're going from there. Listen, the step of faith is never without a recompense. It's never without a result. It's never without what God promises. Trust God. If you haven't, if, you, if you're not understanding his word, well, praise God you're here today. Maybe today is the beginning of something that sparks for you and I. All it takes is one word from God. Just one. Right? And so in Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, we read this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so here's what scripture is revealing to us, that Abraham was convinced, even if my son dies, God, you got to raise him up. Yep. 
Because you only gave me one. Talk about faith. Talk about faith that goes beyond reason, that goes beyond feeling, that goes beyond my biblical training, my theological experience. Listen, let me tell you something. If it, Bible school is great and it's good and it's a blessing. It, it, it definitely is. But if all we do is rely upon what we were taught and we don't do like Paul and learn from Christ himself through his word, then guess what? All we're doing is regurgitating what we've heard. That's it. That's all we're doing. And so here we have Abraham, Abraham and he's walking up there with his son. He lays the wood on his son. The very wood that he's going to use to build this altar. And they're walking up this mountain. And Isaac says to him, hey dad, I got the wood. You got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And it, so Abraham is meditating on He's thinking about all this. And meanwhile, Abraham is believing that because God desired a sacrifice, that he alone could provide a sacrifice that was sufficient. You know what the Bible's teaching us there? That Abraham was thinking, you want me to sacrifice my son, but he's not pure. He's not sufficient. He's not good enough. But Lord, you said, and so this is what I'm going to do. And so as he's walking up this mountain, Isaac asks him this question, and Abraham says, son, God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, you're going to see something very interesting about this in a second. But I want to point something out to you. That where God calls you, God provides the way. And here's, here's what I want to encourage you with. There are places that God wants to take you. There are things that God wants to do in your life. And I get the question that says, but how? How do I even begin? How do I, how, what's my first step? How do, how do I even begin to do this? Where do I go from here? And if we just rewind a little bit and we think about Abraham, God said, leave your family's house. Leave your country to a land that I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going. You ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or well, one of those, it's one of those. Indiana Jones, he walks into this temple, he runs in. And according to what he's looking at on this map, there's supposed to be uh, a, a crossing to get to this chalice that he has to get. And so he gets to the edge and he goes, he sees there's nothing there. But he's looking at the paper and he's saying, but there's supposed to be something there. And so all of a sudden he's scared to death, his enemies are coming, this ball's rolling and he goes like this. And he takes a step and all of a sudden the ground comes up before him. And he begins to walk and he discovers that what he thought wasn't there was actually there. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what faith in God is like. And there are places that God is calling you and there are questions that you will have. To be the father that he created you to be. He's calling you to be the husband that his word declares you can be. He's calling you to prosper and be successful because his word declares it. He's calling you to a life of health. He's calling you to a life of impact where you can touch people's lives, where you can go into your community, where you can come back when you think you're down and out and there is no comeback. And God is saying, take a step. 
trust me. And this is what Abraham is doing the whole time. He's taking one step at a time, and what he's discovering is, God, you're still here. Your word is still true. You can trust God. And so in verses 9 and 11, we see that the moment of truth has arrived. That Abraham prepares the altar. He says this, Then they came to the place of which God had told them. They're finally at the top. And Abraham builds the altar. And he places the wood in order. He stacks it up just right. And Isaac is watching all this. And then all of a sudden he says, come here, son. And he ties him up. What must that have been like for Abraham? What must that have been like for Isaac? Wait, dad, this don't mean, I'm the promise. You can't do this. This ain't the way it's supposed to go. This isn't part of the plan. Go back to what God told you. And Abraham begins to tie him up. He ties him up and he puts him on the altar. Now, what's interesting is this. That Abraham grabs the knife, and as he's grabbing the knife and he's ready to plunge it, verse 11 tells us this. Let's go to verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am, verse 12. And he says to him, do not lay your hand on him. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you reverence God. That's what that word fear means. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, what's interesting, I want to pause here for a minute because I want us to think about something. Did the thought cross your mind, why would God test Abraham? Why would God do that? Why, why did God have to test Abraham? Abraham already took steps of faith. Abraham had already left everything. Abraham had already uh, 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 surpassed all these challenges and he believed God. God had promised him, if you look, uh, if you look uh, uh, further back, you'll see that God tells him, I'm your great reward, Abraham. And Abraham runs with that. And he increases and he multiplies. And, and he's blessed beyond measure. And, and so God, the Bible tells us in verse 1 that God tests him. But what's interesting about that word in the Hebrew is that while it does mean to test, here's what it also means. To behold and to prove to. And what we find in this story is that while we can see it at the surface level, and yes, there is a test there for Abraham, the greater test was, was what God proved to Abraham. Can I tell you why I share that with you? Because what you might not know is that Mount Moriah is the same mount where Jesus was crucified at Calvary. It's the same exact mountain. It's the same exact place. Mount Moriah is the exact location where God's temple was laid by Solomon and eventually where Christ himself was crucified. They've actually conducted archaeological digs. You can Google this, by the way. It's all there. But they've actually proven that this is the same exact mount where Abraham took his son. And what God was proving to Abraham and he was proving to us is your faith is not without reward. Abraham, I know how much you love me. 
But on this very mount, I'm going to prove to you not just how much I love you, but how much I love all humanity. The greater test there was God himself. God was proving himself on that mount. He was revealing that just like your son, you're going to lay the wood on his back, I'm going to lay a cross on mine's. That just as you're going to present your son as a sacrifice, Abraham, I'm going to present my son as a sacrifice here for all humanity. Abraham, that just as you were true to your word, just as my word says that I exalt my word above my very name, I will still do what I promised. That I will bless you and those who curse you, I'll remove them out the way, but I'll bless the nations through you, Abraham. Abraham, I'm proving to you and I'm proving to those that will read your story that what I say I'm going to do, I will do. I will give my best. It's interesting, but if you read this story, it's a foreshadow of what was to come. You might not know this. Maybe this will help you. My pastor used to put it this way. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You know what that simply means? That what we're seeing in the Old Testament is what's to come even to this day. It's a foreshadow. It's showing us something that's to happen. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 as we close here. Because God says this, it says that Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said, listen to what Abraham says. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You know that ram that got caught in thicket, in, in that thicket, uh, that, briber, that, that thicket bush? That's giving us a picture of the lamb that would be slain for us. The Bible refers to Jesus as a lamb who went to the slaughter and said not a word. It's referring to Jesus. Verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abram and said to him a second time, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Verse 17 says, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the seashore. Remember earlier when I made this statement? That the promises of Abraham are our promises? Look around. Just take a look in this room real quick. Look around you. It started with one man that took a step of faith. And here we are today. Hallelujah. One man. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is meant to produce something. Your faith is meant to take you where God said it would. His word is true. And as we get started here with this, uh, this series on amazing stories, I want you to consider the story of Abraham. As a matter of fact, if you get a chance, it won't take you long. Start reading from Genesis chapter 12. As a matter of fact, you can read from Genesis eleven twenty-seven. It tells you about Abraham with his father Haran, and then pick up, it picks up from there. But look at his story, and what you'll see in the life of Abraham is this, that his life was marked 
by a complete trust in God. It's a trust that we should have in God because God does not fail.